0: Hi everyone and welcome back to the Building Brum podcast. I'm your host Connor Nolan and in this podcast I'm going to be discussing the latest development updates and exploring the latest themes and trends from modern methods of construction to city regeneration and placemaking. We're broadcasting from Birmingham and today we're going to be talking about R&D tax credits. Is it an industrial PPI or a driver for innovation? I'm joined by Rupert Mayo who founded Knight R&D back in 2016 following almost 10 years consulting for KPMG in R&D tax relief, and we're going to try and demystify what exactly is R&D tax credits for companies within the construction industry. A big thank you to our Building Grum podcast series supporters, reality capture and point cloud modelling specialists, Tech Digital, Solus, one of the UK's leading suppliers of commercial flooring and wall tiles, and Sunbelt Rentals, with over 200,000 items of equipment, they're the largest providers of equipment hire in the UK. If you'd like to find out more about the Building Brum Construction Partners after today's podcast, you can visit the Building Brum website. Hi, Rupert. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Building Brum podcast. It's great to have you on the show. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks, Connor. Connor, thanks for having me. I hope you're well too. I'm all good, mate. I'm all good. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm really glad to have you here because... There's something going on at the minute and I I, I think you're the man to to ask and that's around R&D tax credits because I'm getting, what I feel like I'm being bombarded on a weekly and daily basis with people reaching out to me on LinkedIn, offering to do my tax credits and there's just this surreal feeling where it's kind of like that time when PPI sales was kind of the big thing at the time and what I want to know is what, what, what's going on? What, what, what is all of this about, really?
1: Yeah, so, look, I mean, there's a, there's a couple of questions there. You know, what is R&D tax relief? And it's a government cent- incentive designed to encourage research and development in the UK uh, and to encourage, if you want a broader term, encourage innovation. Um, and it is quite a generous incentive. And also because of the fact that, you know, HMRC have to oversee this whole claim process and sometimes they struggle with resourcing. Um, there are a lot of opportunists out there. So you may be contacted by some of those opportunists. You may also be contacted by some magnificent people. Um, but the fact is the market is packed with consultants who are claiming to do you know what we do and that is provide services in R&D tax relief so you know the fact that it's generous means a lot of people are out there thinking maybe maybe we can provide this service but it's really important when you claim R&D tax that you work very hard and diligently to follow the qualifying criteria and it's interesting because You can actually do that off your own back. You can take the time to read the rules, analyze the qualifying criteria, analyze your own work, and pull the claim together yourself. And I've actually seen quite a few companies do that themselves, particularly small startups, and do a solid job of it. However, if you want to use a consultant, um, then we can do a number of things. We can make sure you don't miss any qualifying work. We can make sure you don't take any undue risks. Uh, and we can also make sure you understand all parts of the rules and you don't miss anything that you might have missed
0: had you not used someone to assist you. Well, I mean, we've, we've known each other for, for, for a while now, Rupert. And you, you've always, you, you're such an interesting guy. So I've got to ask, how, how does someone like yourself end up working in, in tax? How, how did that come about? Well, look, it's a, it's a yeah, thanks for the compliment.
1: I don't know how interesting I really am, but I'll I'll take that. <laughs> um, but look, it's a, it's an interesting field of tax because there's a really important part to the service. Of course, you need to know the tax legislation; that's critical. But there's an important part of the service, and that is having a technical background and having experience from industry can really help you provide a better service because it allows you to understand the company you're talking to, um, understand the nature of their business, and really get inside their minds and their projects to help them extract uh, in the most robust fashion their qualifying work. So, look, I I, I used to be a scientist working in fertilisers, in manufacturing.
0: Did you say used to be a scientist?
1: Yeah, so I don't pretend to be a scientist anymore. I'm an R&D tax consultant, and I have been for 15 years. But I used to be a scientist working in fertiliser manufacturing. Um, And the way I came into this job, I was working at a company that was claiming R&D tax. So I was writing their reports, I was adding up the costs, I was supplying this information to their uh, tax accountants so it could be submitted And we did the whole thing in-house. So I had to analyse the legislation, uh, had to think about which parts of our work met the criteria, which part didn't. And so when I saw KPMG 15 years ago advertising for scientists and engineers, I thought, am I not the perfect person for this job? And it turns out, you know, I smashed the interview and I got the job and I spent (laughs) nine and a half years at KPMG, providing R and D tax incentive uh, consultancy. I started in Australia, and then I moved to the UK, continuing at at KPMG. Um, and interestingly, a lot of my clients in Australia that I worked on were in the construction industry. So when I was when I came to the UK, I was a great help to uh, KPMG in the UK in helping them build the construction part of their R&D incentives team. So when I then started my own company just over five years ago, and we've we've recently been bought by a uh, professional services firm called K3. But when I was, you know, building this company for myself, uh, construction was a huge part of that for us because I already had so many contacts in the construction industry so it's always been a special area for us but having said that we work in every industry you know you'd be you you do meet consultants who who say they specialize in a particular area Um, but if you can't provide r&d tax relief services to all industries you're not a real r&d tax relief consultant
0: well it's it's that thing with with it being applied to all industries because my, my, my thoughts around kind of that type of tax credit relief you be you're talking about the medical industry you talk about aerospace is it is it really designed for like say companies small companies within the built environments is is that is that is that where it's aimed at as well
1: yeah absolutely so look
0: it's an incentive
1: designed to encourage innovation and research and development in the UK and they've developed a definition that's deliberately broad such that no industry is discriminated against. There's an incentive for small medium enterprises, which is actually more generous than the incentive for large companies in terms of the final benefit you can receive and also the fact that you can claim slightly broader qualifying cost categories. So when it was originally developed, this incentive, they actually had SMEs in mind. And then a couple of years later, uh, they brought in the large companies as well. In terms of the nature of the industry, of course, medical, aerospace, software, you know, automotive, these are the things where you're thinking, of course, they're doing R&D, biotech and so on. But the fact of the matter is if you are either employing engineers or scientists or paying third-party engineers and scientists to develop technically challenging solutions, then you should definitely be considering R&D tax relief. And you, if you think about the built environment and you think about architects, you think about structural engineers, you think about anyone in a technical role, they're often employed to solve problems, to solve technical problems. Now, I'm not saying that means you can claim any time someone solves a technical problem. There are rules written in the BEI's guidelines that you have to test your projects against. But what I am saying is the fact of the matter is you could have, for example, the design of a high-rise building in a tight inner-city location, where you've got a railway track on one side, you've got a um, canal on the other side. Um, you've got also all kinds of issues around uh, space, around um, variable ground conditions, and you're not going to be able to click your fingers to come up with a solution. You're going to have to go through a process, and there's, there's not going to be a publicly available turnkey solution that you can copy. Of course, your solution is going to be formed of a number of parts uh, that you may well take from the public domain, at least in part. But as long as you're developing something that presents scientific or technological uncertainty and you're developing a solution that's not readily deducible to your what they call competent professionals in the public domain, um, sorry, readily deducible to your competent professionals based on the information available to them from the public domain I should say, then there's it's highly likely that you, you're going to have a qualifying project. So you know this should in fact be bread and butter to a lot of structural engineering firms, a lot of architects, um, a lot of
0: people developing specialist software they should be considering this. So when it comes to small when it comes to say small companies, they, they should consider this because if they're designing a new building um, and that new building is looking at the different challenges, looking at the different kind of bringing together different solutions and finding a way forward during this design process, that is effectively R&D and that there leads to this this kind of, this opportunity for, for tax relief because of the technical advancement that comes from the the kind of solution finding during this uh, during say, in, in the instance of a no, yeah I, I mean look design process
1: yeah absolutely I mean you, you do have to be careful so you're not you're not far off there I mean we we have to be careful because you know a competent professional in in a particular field will do a number of design projects in a year where they look at that and they say the the key term in the definition for R&D, one of the many key terms, I should say, is the question of whether it was readily deducible to a competent professional working in the field. Now, that sounds quite subjective. You know, what what exactly does that mean? Uh, To be a competent professional, it doesn't actually mean world leader or even industry leader. It just means relevant qualifications. Uh, in fact, they don't even they don't specifically design, define this in the biz guidelines, but you're expected to be reasonable in your assessment of what a competent professional is, and as someone with relevant qualifications and experience in the field. Now, I don't meet many architects that employ biologists to design buildings, so the chances are if you're an architectural firm, you're using competent professionals. So Usually step one is out of the way. Um, you know, we but, but following that, there has to be a judgment call along the way. Some of their designs, they will say, look, that was readily deducible to us. We were experts. We knew how we were going to go about it. And we, we pretty much knew what the outcome would be and that we could solve that. On the other hand, these projects here, because of these sustainability objectives, Because of these site constraints, because of potentially these cost constraints, because of sometimes it's even a quirky architectural intent with an unusual geometry creates some challenges. But because of these factors, this solution was not obvious, was not readily deducible. And they're the kind of projects that we would help our clients
0: include in a claim. Okay, nice, nice well I mean say say if you look at the, that word that, that word innovation it's such a it's such a huge word within the construction industry right now because there's so many innovative projects and schemes kind of pushing forward and on the forefront of master plan developments up and down the country. what would you I'm not really sure how I should classify these advancements can you put into context even further like you talked about the say how the, des- the geometry on a on a design would kind of that would th- that would qualify if if it could be proven with the tax man what what else should you be looking out for what kind of what other advancements what other innovations qualify during um within yeah look the it's a good it's a good question engineers all over the construction construction industry Who, what would you, what would you need to consider yeah so Look, I mean, starting
1: with the word innovation, it's it's an interesting um, point that you're referring to that word because although, you know, this is overseen um, and comes from the Department of Environment and Innovation and it is designed to encourage innovation, when you read the BEIS guidelines, the word innovation only crops up in the main body of the text when they start talking about certain activities that don't directly contribute uh, to the resolution of uncertainty. That's the only time they ever use the word innovate. That doesn't mean if you're innovating, we don't want to look at it closely because, of course, there's a very good chance it will qualify. However, with R&D tax relief, the important thing to do is to actually apply the biz guidelines objectively. So it's, it is difficult to remove all subjectivity from your R&D assessments because you're looking at a set of definitions on a page and it involves some subjectivity. But the focus should be on the words in the biz guidelines and they refer to the need to be seeking an advance in science or technology through the resolution of scientific or technological uncertainty. Now, if that's all you read, you may well think that sounds pretty tight. What exactly does that mean? Um, but it's not as tight as those headlines sound. So you've heard advance and you've heard uncertainty. But the important thing to remember with the advance is that I, and I touched on this before, if you're t- testing whether you're seeking an advance is tested based on whether you're seeking knowledge and capability that isn't available to you from the public domain or isn't readily deducible based on information and knowledge available to you from the public domain. So you can see how that broadens it because you could be trying to achieve something that you know competitors are doing but they're not sharing it with you. Or you could have a project where the specific requirements mean that it's impossible to transfer another solution to solve your problem or challenges that you're faced with. So, you know, the the most common thing we see in construction for R&D is that the the R&D relates to the set of constraints and technical objectives that you're presented with. So when someone designs uh, a new building, for example, And they're thinking, I want to do this as efficiently as possible. I want to make this perhaps repeatable so that I can do it in a similar way again in the future. I want to make it as safe as possible. So I want to design as much off-site, perhaps, or construct as much as, or manufacture as much as possible off-site. As soon as they start being set a number of constraints, and the constraints can come from the client, or they could be internally driven constraints. It could just be the fact that they want to make more money. So if they do a far better job of it, they will make more money because it'll probably cost less. So that's where the that's the motivation and the driver for the R and D. It's the constraints that are presented on the project.
0: No, I I, I completely see that now. The um, well, say say I was a structural engineer and I, I, I had a structural engineer business or, or an architect with an architecture practice and I'm going to go hypothetical now but like what if what if I was turning over say one million pounds a year and my business it was progressive it was really on the front foot when it come, comes to innovation and, and pushing the boundaries what what type of what type of up credit could I see if I put in a an, an RD tax credit application? Yeah.
1: I mean, look, Connor, that's a that is a difficult question to answer and, and difficult to be specific, but you know, using a, an architect as an example, often you look first at the staffing costs. And if you compare, you know, an architect to say, uh, more of a contractor type company, they will have more staff than what we call externally provided workers or subcontracted out uh, work. But let's just, you know, for argument's sake, say this architect has spent about 500K on the year um, on staff. Most of those people will be architects designing solutions. And architects do a lot of work upfront. Um, attempting to win work um, as well as obviously design once they have won the work. They'll be usually working on a fixed fee. So most of the R&D will typically be done of their own volition. However, this is a topical point and an area of attention for HMRC. So you do need to think carefully about this and we probably don't have time to go into it today. So this is going to be very ballpark. But, you know, a company... An architect with 500k in staffing costs, you would expect them to potentially claim between 20 and 80% of that cost as R&D. I know that's an, a ridiculously broad range, but I I'd, I'd only get myself in trouble if I said something too specific because every company is different. But if they're an SME and they spend 500k on staff, and between 20 and 80% of that is R&D expenditure, then there's a tax saving there for a profitable company of between 25 and 100k a year. Now, if they're loss-making, it's a it's a slightly different calculation. And the amount of cash you can get as a loss-making company is impacted by the amount of losses that you have already and following the R&D claim. Um, but but, you know, if the qualifying expenditure is 100k, they can get between 18 and 33k uh, in cash back as a loss making company. So a profitable company is roughly 25p per pound spend on R&D. A loss making company between 18 and 33p per pound. So... <laughs> It's very handy, and I only talk about staff there and used an architect as an example. You know, it it could be a contractor that's coming up with clever ways of delivering their services, more efficient ways, uh, more adaptable ways, more flexible ways, more repeatable ways of delivering. You know, they might install facades on buildings, design and install facades. Um, They're constantly coming up with better ways of doing that. And there'll be R and D in amongst that work, and and you know we would we would definitely be able to help that sort of company uh, as well. So.
0: No thanks. I'll put you on the spot there, being like, "Give me what? What's what's the figure million pound? What's the figure?" No, I really appreciate yeah. you. Uh, you uh, I had a, well, I had a go at
1: it, but I'd just say you know we've got to go through the process, but you know an architect or a structural engineering firm with a million pounds turnover, they have a claim to make. And the question is not whether, but how much.
0: Oh, yeah. No, thanks so much, Rupert. Really genuine. Thanks for coming on the show today. Thanks for taking the time. Let's, let's come back again and go further. Cause there's a lot of points, a lot of topics in here, which I, which I think we're just only just scratching the surface on. And I really, really do. Um, yeah. No, I appreciate you, you sharing that insight and that knowledge with uh, with myself and um All our listeners, so no, thank you so much. No problem, thanks very much for having me, Connor. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Subscribe to the Building Brum podcast and join us again, where we'll be chatting with new guests every month, exploring and examining the latest themes and trends within the construction industry. A big thank you once again to our Building Brum podcast series supporters, Reality Capture, Point Cloud Modeling Specialists, Scantech Digital. Solus, one of the UK's leading suppliers of commercial flooring and wall tiles, and Sunbelt Rentals, with over two hundred thousand items of equipment, they are the largest providers of equipment hire in the UK. Thank you once again for listening to the Building Run podcast and supporting the series. We'll be back again very soon with new special guest speakers. Thanks for listening and take care everyone.